right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Sally here got a really fun interview with Podrick Harrington coming off a T27 uh, this past week's U.S. Open. We talk about LACC. We talk about how he's gained speed. We talk about distance. We talk about the live merger, major championships, you name it. I could talk to this guy about golf for many, many hours, and we were uh, lucky enough to spend a little over an hour with him. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Precision Pro. They have the new No Laying Up Rangefinder designs and premium carrying case is available now on precisionprogolf.com slash NLU. You can get $20 off all their rangefinders right now if you go to the website. They've also got sick new speakers. If you go right to their homepage, precisionprogolf.com, you will see that. My, mine literally just came in the mail today with the custom carrying case and everything. Got it charging up right behind me. Very excited to take these out to the golf course. We've been using the NX10 rangefinder for almost a year now. This thing has everything you need and more. It locks onto the target quickly. It's lightning quick, has additional features such as slope switch, HD optics, and a magnetic cart mount. It makes the NX10 our go-to choice as a rangefinder. You also will not find a better customer care package in golf. Free battery replacements, industry-leading customer service, and 90-day money-back guarantees. There's a reason Precision Pro has been a trusted partner of ours for years. They've been a sponsor of Taurus Sauce. They've been awesome to work with. So I uh, have had many, many, many great uh, pieces of feedback from our listeners that have bought Precision Pro rangefinders. PrecisionProGolf.com slash NLU to get the No Laying Up NX10 rangefinder in case today. Again, PrecisionProGolf.com slash NLU. Here's Padraig Harrington. Okay, we are coming fresh off U.S. Open week. Uh, I think it's fair to say LACC was a bit of a controversial golf course to, amongst uh, from a lot of our readers and listeners. What did you think of LACC as a U.S. Open venue? Ooh, uh, yeah, it came across as controversial, I think, because of the crowds. Uh, there just wasn't enough crowds in there to create the atmosphere. I've got to say, from a player's perspective, it worked seamlessly. Uh, it was a very easy venue to get in and out for us. It was... It was a great course. There was a lot of variety in the golf course. They were easily the best greens I've ever seen at a major, and especially at a US Open. Normally, they, you know, they let the greens go and they get burnt out. They were pure the whole week. Do you think that there is a place for for wide fairways and width like this in major championship golf? I think there was some criticism of that. I know it's it's different than what we're used to out of a US Open. What are you, what's your reaction to that? I prefer wide fairways and punishment for missing them. I, I think when you get the fairways too narrow, you just everybody just wings away, and 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 it, it's nearly a disincentive to hit them. Right? If you remember, uh, uh, Bryson went at wing foot. He he made that point. It just when you get the fairways very narrow, you might as well just hit driver and hit it further up. Where there was severe punishment for missing the fairways last week, uh, probably the the. The heaviest rough, it wasn't that it was the heaviest in length, it, it just was the heaviest that the ball sat down to the bottom. Oftentimes you couldn't hit it 80 yards in the air out of the rough. Uh, so yeah, I, I think I prefer wider fairways, punish you for missing it. And and it is upset. I, I think I missed the, the fifth, the third fairway on Sunday. And like it's 60 yards wide and I was like, I, I it was an automatic bogey by missing the fairway. It was so upsetting to me mentally. Uh, if you hit the fairway, you've got a great birdie chance. If you miss it, disaster. So, I, I, I just I believe more in that. I prefer a golf course that 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 as you hit driver, and as we saw down the stretch, you know, 
like there was plenty of fairways missed on you know the last couple of holes 14 16 17 when i was watching uh you know a lot of people would talk about 18 18 stood out as unusually wide and i do believe that it wasn't characteristic of an 18 hole at a us open but taking that one hole out uh the rest of them yeah there was some wide fairways but you were under a lot of pressure to hit the fairways like like a simple hole like number 12 you know it was a five wood uh, gap wedge but wow if you missed that fairway you were in dire trouble so yeah i, I i've got to say much prefer that sort of test narrow fairways it just plays into the long hitter's hands when you get the fairways very narrow yeah, I, I agree. I tend to agree with that a lot. Yet at the same time, I struggled to marry up what happened on the 72nd hole with Wyndham Clark's drive. It felt like that deserved a bit of punishment on the 72nd hole of a U.S. Open. And uh, I, I was, you confirmed kind of my thoughts there on that 18th hole. That just didn't seem like it quite worked. Yeah, you know, it was interesting because there was a bunker on the 18th about 270 or something like that. And when you stood in the tee box, you assumed that that bunker was going to be like a 310 carry in practice, like you just looked up there and you said, oh my God, this is going to be a nightmare hole. If you have to hit it right at this bunker with the, because there's bushes down the right of of, of 18. So like if you had to hit it into that bottleneck, it would have been oh the worst finishing hole ever. And then you got in the tee and you, you go, what? It's only 270. I can wing it up over that. And it, and it did open up a lot. Look, I, I think Wyndham exaggerated with his. If, if Wyndham held his finish and posed on 18, nobody would have been taking this as, as a big deal. The fact that he kind of reacted to it, I think that caused a lot of people to think he'd hit it in trouble. And clearly he was on the edge of the fairway. It was all fine. But I, I will agree, it wasn't an 18th hole. Uh, I'm sure if you asked Matt Fitz last year, uh, how tough was his drive off 18 and compared to this year, uh, there was no comparison. Well, how, it feels like we've seen a, a really strong shift in U.S. Open setups basically since Shinnecock in 2018. Um, it seems like the USGA is not no longer trying to make the score over par. It seems like they're talking about their setups a lot differently. How have you seen U.S. Open setups evolve? And, and as a player, it seems like guys are, are more satisfied with the, the way this is trending. Yeah, look, a, a, a nice score to, to aim for is between four and eight on the par. You start trying to get the players to shoot around level par, you're going to have to trick the golf course up. Players are going to get frustrated. And there were certainly several pin positions that we looked at in practice that would have been used 10 years ago in the US Open, but are, are not, they weren't used this time. And these were, the, as I said earlier, these were probably the best quality greens. Even though they had them, they said they were high 13s uh, on the stimp meter, they never put it like they were extremely fast. If anything, players were struggling to get the ball to the hole up the hills. Uh, they just were beautiful grass on the greens. It was very easy to hold a three-footer, not like normal US Opens. And they just didn't go into those weird pin positions. Like there was a pin on the back left of 18 that we were looking at. No, they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. But I guarantee you, 10 years ago, they would have used that pin. And even the Sunday pin, I'm sure, could have gone another four or five yards further right in the old days. So I, I, the the setup is better for the players. It's it's producing a fairer test. Maybe for the spectators, it takes a little bit of that erratic drama of it. Uh, but from the players' perspective, it's a fairer setup, and and we're not getting as frustrated with the difference between an average shot and a good shot. Which I don't I don't think the players feel an average shot should be punished. They don't mind a bad shot being punished, but they don't want a situation that you know 
they hit an okay shot and all of a sudden they're they're in you know in, in dire circumstances taking you know ending up making a double bogey off an okay shot and that's where I think the the gap is always going to be amongst golf fans because some fans tune in to see you guys suffer at the U.S. <laughs> Open. They really do, right? And you all you guys, I, I, you guys don't mind difficulty. What you hate is when you have no shot at a good shot. Then it's like, what's the point? If I'm going to end up, you know, in the in the rough over the green anyways, what's the point in trying to hit a good shot? That's when it gets a little bit silly. Is, is that a fair interpretation? <laughs> It is indeed. Yeah, we, we, yeah, I will agree. If I was a spectator, sometimes I want to see, I want to see drama. As a player, we, we, we don't necessarily want that. So, uh, yeah, it, it, there is always going to be that fight, and that's why the players don't set up the golf course either. That's why it is left to somebody else to make these decisions. But there's certainly, I think, with LA Country Club, and this is always, if you get a big tough golf course, then the setup tends to be fair because they dial it back a bit. If you get a, 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 an easier course, well, then the setup tends to be tricky because they're, they're, they're trying to hold us back from shooting low numbers. And, and the player, look, one of the things why the 62s were shot the first day, I keep going back, the greens were just perfect. So, and they wouldn't have known the golf course the first day. They were afraid a little bit to USGA. They didn't know how far to push it because it's an unknown quantity. We haven't been at LA Country Club. This is not like Augusta. Augusta have the the benefit of going back to the same course every year and they know exactly how each pin position, each tee box affects the play in a hole where you go to a new golf course, which often happens at a major and they just have to be wary of, you know, not getting the wrong pin position the first day out because all of a sudden it, it, it which we've seen, say uh, you, you brought up uh, Shinnecock where, where you can get the wrong pin position where a ball will roll off the green. And obviously that's, you know, that's no good for anybody. So the first day at LA Country Club, they did go a little easy. Again, they were erring on the side of caution. What do you, you're a three-time major champion. You're 51 years old now, and you've played the weekend here at the PGA Championship and the U.S. Open. What, what's your reaction to that? What are your goals going into the week, and what's it like, you know, having achieved the success you've achieved in majors? What are your goals now, and how do you walk away from a weekend like this one where you finished tied for 27th? Yeah, you know, same as a lot of majors. I, I look back and go, ah, I could have done my preparation better. Could have been in a better place going into it. A lot of times with majors, you always feel better about your golfing golf on the Monday afterwards, which is not a good thing. You should be peaking in the in, in the tournament. So, yeah, I, I look, I look back at twenty seventh, and people say, "Oh, well done," and they, they obviously taken into account my age, but. Uh, when you've won three of these things, 27 ain't going on the CV. So, yeah, I probably look at this when I say, hey, I'm capable of competing if I do the right things. Uh, but I need to be better in that preparation. There's there's no physical problem, uh, you know, with me competing. It, it, it's definitely a, a, a mental thing. And the same mental thing it would have been 25 years ago when I was starting off on my major. It's believing that you're good enough uh, you know, you don't win these majors going into them feeling like you, you've got a whole big putts and you've got to get lucky. You, you win them when you feel comfortable in the environment. You, it comes back to that old old saying. Uh, I know Tiger is famous for it, but when you believe you can win with your B game, your A game turns up. When you think you need your A game, your B game turns up. So it, it's about being comfortable in the environment and being relaxed. And then the best comes out of you. When, you, when you're on edge, it just doesn't work like that. Uh, you could, uh, and, I, and I think my game is physically good enough. I can be good enough mentally. 
Uh, and, you know, I've one more major this year, four weeks to go to that. And, and everything in my head is about trying to get my preparation right for that one and trying to stop, which is my own, uh, I suppose, the burden I have of trying to stop looking to be technically better and proficient and a better ball striker. Because when I look back at the US Open, it wasn't about hitting better shots. It was about you know, hitting better wedge shots, simple things. You'd be surprised how many times it's it's your confidence with your wedge play and being strong mentally and 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 hitting the shot you're trying to hit rather than uh, you know being defensive. Hmm. You talked a little bit about being on uh, you know on edge and how that does not maybe elevate your play in major championships. Was that a learned skill for you? I mean, when did you feel like like I, I went back and watched your 07 playoff highlights at Carnoustie and. I for I I'm just I love major championships. I'm obsessed with them. I, I break them down in great detail, and I just I wonder how you stand up in front of all those people and f- for that trophy with everything on the line and just stay in a process and hit normal golf shots. Is that something that evolved into you, you being able to win you know so many majors in such a short stretch of time? Well, uh, a couple of things for me. One, I was always good under pressure. You know, when when my back's to the wall, when when I have no other choice, I tend to play my best golf in a one-off situation, a one shot. That doesn't mean you can't do that for 72 holes, if you know what I mean. It, it, you know, you stand the first tee at a tournament. If, you're, if, if your back's to the wall at that stage, it's a long week. But I, I'm pretty good if I came to the 18th hole and my back's to the wall and I have no other choice. I tend, like I tend to play tough holes well and easy holes badly. That would be my burden in life. Uh, so, look, when it comes to the pressure down the 72nd hole, the great thing about that is you're actually playing really well you're you're in a you know you're in a position that you're you, you've got a lot of confidence things are going well so Bob Torrance my old coach used to say it's easy to hit a great shot when you're feeling good it's really difficult to hit a good shot when you're feeling bad and, and so I always go my chip shot in the 72nd hole at the US Open I'm sorry at the, at the Open in 2007 is actually the best shot I ever hit because I was feeling so bad about my game at that stage the playoff after I hit my tee shot in the first hole, I was back in the zone feeling good. And yeah, I felt good about things, went through my routines and believed in myself. So the overall question is, I kind of drifted there a bit, but the, the thing is, I think up to 2007, I used to prepare for Thursday morning. Whereas from 2007 onwards, 2006, wing foot in 2006, I was trying to get ready for Sunday on Monday. So at the start of the week, all I was thinking about is how can I be ready and fresh Sunday afternoon to win this tournament rather than, which a lot of people do, panicking Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, trying to get yourself in, in shape for a Thursday morning. And fair enough, you might be better ready for Thursday morning. You might know the line on a certain put on, on, on Thursday because you did that extra bit of practice. But by Sunday afternoon, you're you're burnt out. You're 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 gone. So you have to. There's a huge difference. Prepare for Sunday, not for Thursday. That's interesting. I don't know if I've ever heard it phrased that way. It seems to me like again, if you look at the U.S. Open leaderboard after 72 holes, like you see John Rahm up there, you see Colin Morikawa, some guys that were not in the thick of it from you know from Thursday on, or that we thought were in contention. But after 72 holes, the, the cream just tends to rise. Is there a comfort that comes with that in major championship golf when you are one of the top players to say, hey, the longer this thing goes on, the more that maybe lesser players are going to get weeded out? And is that feeling different than PGA Tour and DP World Tour events? 
hundred percent. You're you're spot on there. When it comes, it's a lot easier for a good player to win a major than a regular event. I know that seems odd for people, but the fact of the matter is, there's plenty of players. As the tournament goes on, they just won't be able to handle the pressure. They're just not going to be there. So I I would say, you know, playing a PGA Tour event feels a bit like a hundred meter sprint. Playing a playing a major and still playing a major, even though all the standard and the players, there's more good players and the standard has improved. Playing a major is like running a marathon. You kind of know, like even the guys who shot eight under the first day, there's no panic. You know, you know, they're not going to, like if somebody shoots eight under the first day in a PJ Tour event, you're kind of thinking, God, you know, it's going to be 22 under par winning this week. Whereas at the US Open, we're kind of going, I wonder will they even manage to stay at eight under? You know, and as it turned out, they didn't. The two guys who shot eight under didn't finish eight under. So look, it's just, you know that at a major, you know, stay patient. You don't want to blow yourself out because like, and, and maybe it's a couple of guys you mentioned there, if you're, if you get three, four over par, it's too far back. It really is. You know, it doesn't matter how well you play again. You're not really going to catch up. So you're, you're your first couple of days, at, at, at a, you want to be around the top 10. You want to be the, the one under par, the level par sort of score. It's too much to do from four or five over par. So some of those guys you mentioned there, well, they'll end up having a good week. It doesn't really count. It doesn't count if you play great the weekend to finish fifth. It doesn't. It, it, it counts if you play. It really counts if you if you want to win majors and you finish fifth by shooting 72 on Sunday. I guarantee you, you're going to have the ability to win majors doing that because that's where you're learning. If you shot 65 on Sunday to finish fifth, it means very little. A little bit of confidence, but you weren't really in contention. You weren't there. You played Sunday in nice conditions where the guy shooting 72 out in one of the last couple of groups, he played in the tough, much tougher conditions. He's the one who's going to learn more from that experience. So, yes, the names you mentioned had a nice week, but unless you're really thinking you can win on Sunday, it's a disappointing major for the big stars. A quick break here to check in with our friends at Roback. You guys know Roback. You hear us talk about it a lot. You see us wearing it a lot. Almost all the video. I, I, I cannot get enough of Roback. I need you to keep sending me new stuff, guys. I Every time I think I've got too many hoodies, I go through them rather quickly. People are probably sick of seeing the same stuff over and over again. Their performance polos are fantastic. They got great USA theme ones in time for July 4th. They got classic solids and stripes. The polos are extremely clean. They're four way stretch and moisture wicking fabric is awesome gets you a through a warm summer day on the golf course if you live in colder climate something perfect for the evenings are their performance hoodies the stretchiest softest hoodies in golf and lastly the performance q-zips are fantastic they look stylish you can wear them to work if you wanted to you can wear them out for to dinner you can wear them on the golf course super functional i absolutely love them we cannot go anywhere without seeing roback you can use code NLU at Roback.com for a generous 20% off your first order through the end of this week. That's R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com, 20% off polos, Q-zips, hoodies. They got great shorts. They got joggers. They got everything. Cannot say enough great things. Code NLU, Roback.com. Summer is calling. Make sure to check them out now. Back to Padraig Harrington. It did feel like on Sunday, the the green, the green firmness never really came all week. We kept waiting for it. It never fully came to the point, to the extent that I think that the, the committee would have liked. But it looked like those greens got glossy. And just watching those final groups, it looked hard to putt on those greens by the end of the day. Yeah, but not, not, as, not as glassy as they used to. You know, normally, they, normally you're looking at the greens on a Sunday and thinking there, there ain't going to be anything here. Tomorrow. There's probably nothing there on Sunday, let alone the next day. These greens, they held up 
unbelievable. They were the best bent grass greens I've ever seen at a major. And, and I know I didn't play very late and so well, I was I wasn't too far off. I was what seventh or eighth group from the end. So I, I would have seen some of but there was nowhere on that golf course on Sunday afternoon that I looked at the hole and thought, there's no grass around this hole. The ball won't stop here. It's gonna drift two, three feet. Like I, I didn't have a three put last week, and that was absolutely down to the quality of the greens. You know, you could walk up to a two footer last week at a US Open. Obviously, not if you're your sergeant on the 18th hole, but you could walk up to a two footer and tap it in last week. That's not normal at a US Open. Normally at a US Open, you've got a two footer and you're going, oh, gee, I've got to mark this. I've got to look at this. I've got to grind over this. And, and the ball didn't, you know, it, it, they were just, even though they, they're telling us they were over 13 on the stint meter, they didn't feel like that because there was a beautiful uh, covering of grass. So, yeah, you're, you're right. It didn't get like what it can at a US Open where the ball is just dribbling and moving around there were there were quality quality greens and that why that's why the scoring was generally good you are a, a you're very famous for your tinkering over the years the adjustments you've made in your swing the stuff you've tried it, it's been really interesting to follow your speed journey as you are are now playing on the champions tour your your ball speed i believe is up probably as high as it's ever been in, in your career when did this journey start what, what what were the factors that went into saying all right i'm I, now is the time for me to start adding speed uh, ooh, 1999, probably. Yeah, I, I maybe even when I turned pro in 1996, I, I gained quite a bit of speed when I started as a pro. I used to hit a low cut uh, as an amateur. And when I turned pro, I got a, a great big Berta driver and John Jacobs taught me how to hit a draw. And I hit this big slinging hook for about two years on tour. I loved it. Uh, but I recognized very quickly when Tiger came out that speed was very important. So I was always at it. I got my first launch monitor in 2000 and it could be as late as two, was it 2003. I got a launch monitor, a vector monitor. I, my peak speed at that stage was 169 on the monitor. Uh, you know, I think later on, I probably got a bit more obsessive about speed. I think Rory changed the game. Rory came out in 2011, 10, 11, and He's the first long hitter who played like a long hitter. The rest were all bullied into playing like short hitters. It was it was amazing. All the long hitters up to up to 2011, they'd hit irons off the tee on par fours. They'd lay up. They they hit it in the same place the short hitters would hit it. Rory came out and he just hit driver. And, and the other long hitters, the likes of uh, Bubba and uh, Dustin Johnson, uh, JB Holmes, they were very long hitters at the time. They saw Rory doing it, and they said, oh, "Oh, so we could do this as well." And they started hitting drivers, and you will see that their their best performance coincided with after Rory came out, and they they started doing the same thing. Uh, I can remember I played with DJ at the TPC Sawgrass at his first Sawgrass event, first Players Championship. He got in as an alternative, and he was playing with myself and Madam Scott. We didn't know who the lad was. I've got to say, it's a funny story. We didn't know who's this lad. No idea. And uh, we're looking up at the first team. He takes an iron out in the first at, 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 at Sawgrass. And we're thinking, mm, he's a bit nervous, this lad. We're kind of having a little little chuckle to ourselves. Obviously, this iron came off like a like a different quality, different strike, the power. And we said, okay, maybe he wasn't that nervous. But the reality of it is he'd never hit an iron off that tee now. He'd take his driver and hit it. Uh, Rory changed the game like that. And now all the long hitters... They play to their strengths. 
they hit driver and they take their chances. And that's why up to that, it wasn't important to be a long hitter because in the end of the day, none of them were any good in terms of their play. Once Rory came along, all of a sudden you you had to be in that number because the likelihood is one of the winners is going to come from that group. And uh, so now back in the day, you were trying to beat one long hitter. Now you're trying to beat 50 of them. And if you're not one of those 50, it's putting a lot of, uh, you know, it's rare for somebody outside of that 50 to be really in contention. So I've always been interested in speed. It's just become more and more, more and more uh, of a focus. So essentially, uh, before I might have focused it when I'm at home, now I focus on speed every day of practice, hmm. every day. A lot, of, a lot of ways we could go with that, but I want to divert here for a second because you, you made a point I've been trying to make over the over the over the months and years about driving distances that it's kind of starting to become a uh, I use the phrase self selecting it's probably not the right statistical term but your the the pool of top players is going to come from there's more long drivers now and so now it's more likely that there's going to be one two ten of them that have a good iron play week and one of those that has a good putting week so it, it the emphasis on driving you know the distance is getting longer without the technology changing a whole lot from 2022 to 2023 but every year new crop of guys that hit it farther that have learned to hit up on the ball that have played with a 460 cc driver that have never played the ballada balls that we grew up playing that spun off the planet do you see that as an issue at all with the game do you agree with kind of that that assessment and and do you see that as an issue going forward in pro golf oh we're on to bifurcation i i would be get be against bifurcation absolutely i i think we should all play by the same rules do i think there should be a rollback Certainly where I come from in Europe, it's a big deal in Ireland. We need a rollback. The golf courses are completely defunct in Dublin. Just completely. You just can't go play them. The dog legs are all in the wrong place. It's dangerous. What's interesting is, you know, should there be a rollback? It's certainly not needed as much in the US. If you could put a hard stop right now on it, I'd say, okay, that's fair enough. We just can't keep going down this road, though. Can't get longer and longer. And what's interesting is, you know, the golf ball was built for like a 170 ball speed guy 10 years ago. It's now built for 180 ball speed. So what what I I, I could tell you everybody's ball speed out there. I watch it. I look in and have a look on, on Tourcast. And what's fascinating is some of these guys... Not not so much with Wyndham last week. He, he 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 didn't hit it that far for his ball speed. But I was watching some of these guys, like uh, a couple of guys got 200 mile an hour ball speed in the range. Uh, Neymar, uh, Wilco Neymar, and uh, the young South African, Potiker. He got 200 sitting, standing beside me. But what's interesting is when you go and look at the, the ball speeds on the course, Rory was always such an outlier that he had high ball speed but low spin. That's very hard to do. Very hard to spin the ball at 2,000, two, under 2-2 two, 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 with a high ball speed. It, the golf ball just didn't function. It just didn't do it. It was virtually impossible. Rory did it, and I, I could never understand. I, I just saw it as a complete outlier. But now you've got like Minwoo Lee. He was doing it last week. Neymar, they all kept their spin rate down. So if you can, like, now you're going to see somebody come out with a 200 mile an hour ball speed who actually can play golf. We haven't seen that before. We haven't, you know, seen somebody who can, who can play golf at that speed. It's going to happen. So yeah, where do we go 
do we do we try and stop this or do we, we do we allow that person to have the advantage? As I said, a lot of long hitters prefer Rory because they were so good at hitting the ball. They've never really learned how to play golf. Uh, you know, they they're not they weren't the complete package like Tiger, who was an exceptionally long hitter, but the complete package. Now we're seeing there's going to be a few. There's going to be another Tiger Woods who's going to be longer than the field and can play the game, you know, has all the game, has the mental side, has the short game. At the moment, we've a, we've a mixture and we're starting to see some long hitters who are good players. It would be interesting to see. I, I, I can't see it having to be. I, I targeted low 180 ball speed. I don't think you need to be any longer than, uh, say, John Ram or Dustin Johnson. That's That's where they're playing. They're playing in the low 180s, efficient. Surely you don't need to hit it any further than that. Uh, but yeah, we're seeing a few 190 guys, which is 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 startling. It's, it doesn't seem hard to have 200 mile an hour ball speed if you're a young guy. It just doesn't. It seems they're going to be dime a dozen. Yeah, it's complicated. I, I, I don't like the idea of bifurcating the game, uh, yet I also am sympathetic to the fact that most people don't want a full rollback. Most casual fans do not want it, want, it, want their own golf ball to go shorter, so I think they're choosing between bad options now. Uh, it's just tough. Yeah. The only thing, as regards casual fans, clearly they're not going to lose much. As you know, It's not going to affect their game as much. And I know from my own experience, if I'm playing with somebody and I expect to hit it the same distance as them, whether it's 300 yards or 270 yards, if we expect to be the same distance and I walk down there, my ball is 10 yards outside him, I'm going to puff my chest out, look at me. So it's relative to what you expect at that moment in time against the people you're playing with. And and, and I can tell you the same thing. If I, if I go out and, uh, and I expect to hit it 20 yards past my playing partner, and he's sitting there beside me. I'm grumpy. Even if I've hit it 330, I'm grumpy. Why Why is he, you know? So it's a lot of it is relative. I think happiness is like that, isn't it? It's relative to your expectation at that moment in time. So if we did roll back, we'd all get used to it very quickly. So I don't think it would affect the enjoyment of the game uh, down the road. Yeah, a common argument. I've, I had this with a player actually out at LACC was, you know, people want to show up and want to see Rory bang on the ball. I'm like, I promise you, I can't tell the distance of a 330 carry and a 300 carry when I'm looking at it. And I play a lot of golf and have seen a lot of golf. So it's not like people are going to show up at events and say, uh, oh, wow, that was a poof out there. Like that wasn't even hit hard because it's just not, it's like you said, it's all relative distance and it's still going to look far. If they roll it back, you will see guys hit it harder. Yeah. So the the big hitters will have a bigger advantage. And so I, I kind of, up to last week, I was thinking, there's no point in having 200 mile an hour ball speed. It doesn't know where to hit it. The golf courses aren't big enough. You can't control it. The spin rate doesn't work at all, That all those figures. But if they do roll back, you will actually find that the more athletic you are, the better. So if you, if, if you could get 210 mile an hour and they roll it back, you're going to have more advantage and you're going to, use, you're going to be able to... Use, think of it like this. If you could hit the ball... 330 yards in the air and they roll it back to 300. Well, you'll hit driver a lot more often at 300 carry because I can tell you, if you gave me 330 carry, there's a lot of golf courses I'd be standing there going, oh, I can't hit driver. There's It, it just gets too wide the further you're hitting it. So rolling it back will cause players to hit it harder, cause the players to be more athletic and will definitely encourage. We will have an advantage for the the, the better athletic players 
to give it a hit because there's more real estate for them to, to hit it on. Whereas hit, if you start hitting the 350 in the air, where, where would you hit it? There, there's going to be out of bounds at that. At, at some stage, you're going to run out of, out of real estate. And the part that gets me is you just, uh, you're going to, and the longer the ball goes, the more guys are going to be hitting from where dispersion range, ranges are less, right? I mean, if, if more shots are coming from within 150, then it's harder for Rory to separate. For, if he's from 120 and somebody else is at 140, it's harder for him to separate than if he was 160 versus the other guy being at 180, right? Those differences are going to be, yeah, over time, are yeah. going to be bigger. Yeah, you're, you're, you are right. That, that, that There's not a lot of difference between a player coming in from 100 yards to 120, but it's it's more significant at 160 to 180. You're, you're 100% right there. I, I think... <sighs> Yeah, look, if we if we could put a hard stop, we'd all say, yeah, let's have a hard stop now. Uh, I, I'm afraid of it going further and further and, and, and how big do the golf courses have to be? And, and one of the great things, got, well, I don't know if this will change. I think small guys can swing the club efficiently and be long enough. So I don't, I think one of the great things about golf over the years is it hasn't been biased to one physical type, you know, We've seen guys with, with narrow shoulders and, and wide hips be very good. And we've seen guys, you know, with narrow hips and wide shoulders be good. We've seen tall guys, short guys. So it, it, all sorts of people can play the game. So I, I don't know if that will change. I, you know, we're certainly seeing bigger, more athletic people playing the game, choosing golf as their number one sport. We, we used to joke, you know, in Europe, you tend to find more athletic people playing golf. In the States... 30 years ago, if you were athletic, you played, you know, you played baseball first, you played basketball, you played American football first. And if you didn't make those teams, okay, you can go play golf. Whereas now it, it now now the number one athlete in high school is often choosing to play golf. Yeah, it's uh, that's that's kind of yeah. We we don't have to spend too much time on uh, on one of the most hotly debated topics out there because I don't. And I, I would highly recommend people check out. You did an awesome video with me and my golf talking about a whole bunch of speed stuff and putting stuff on display that is really hard to, to you know show off on a podcast. Uh, the the video helps it make a lot more sense. But is there a way if you were you know if you were doing a clinic if you were to describe to people where speed comes from, how you've been able to get to the levels that you're at right now at age 51. What's a high-level way you would describe of how you've been able to do that? The number one way to get speed is you've got to break your own mental inhibitions. That's it. So you've just got to hit it harder, first and foremost. And, and uh, people don't understand that. They think they, you know, they think they can go to the gym and get stronger. Yeah, that's nice. Get stronger. But if you're going to hit the ball at the same pace in the golf course, you ain't hit any harder. You've got to hit the golf ball harder on the golf course. You've got to break the mental inhibitions. At a level, you're going to have to change your, you know, try and break into your central nervous system and change what that thinks is fast. Uh, so, like, you can have, uh, you can have a very, very strong, powerful, fast person. And we've seen this a lot when you get sports people who are great athletes come play golf and they think golf is about swinging smooth and being, you know, rhythm and all that sort of stuff. And they're terrible golfers. Whereas it, if, if I got an athlete, the first thing I'd do is, is I'd actually put a monitor on the ground, get them something like speed sticks, which I use. And so there's no head there to no inhibition to hit the golf ball and tell them, right, I want to see you swing this stick as fast as you can. 
I don't care how you do it, what you do. I want to see it. You've got the feedback. I don't, you can do anything you like to make that go as fast as you can. And whatever makes it go as fast as it can, I'd say, right, now we're going to work with that and create a golf swing from that swing. Whereas people think you can create a golf swing and then add speed. No, get the speed first. Then we can dial back and figure out, okay, we're going to play at 90% of that. We're going to maybe connect a few things. We're going to keep your arms a bit more connected, your body, something, take lots of things like that. But you've got to start with the natural speed. For people who are playing golf, yeah, they, they need to break the habit of what they're doing. So something like speed sticks is brilliant for that because it, it's taking you away from trying to match accuracy with speed, which you actually, to start off with, you have to give up the accuracy. Like I, I would say to somebody, you know, if, if you were trying to gain speed at a very basic level, hit 20 balls a week where you're actually trying to hit them crooked. So as hard as you can, and, and the, if they go crooked, great. You're not trying to hit them straight. You're trying to hit, you're actually just trying for raw speed. Everybody wants two things and they're separate. You can't, you know, everybody says, oh, I want to hit it straight and fast. Well, do them separately. Have a swing that you hit straight and have a swing that you swing fast and then marry the two. And what you might find is your fast swing might go 10 miles an hour quicker than your on-course swing. And if you hit enough shots with that on the range, you might find that your on-course swing that goes straight is, gains five miles an hour. And, and, and this is, we, we go back to the, the, you know, the speed sticks. That's the whole concept. You're getting away from accuracy. You're swinging the stick. You're swinging at it. You lose that inhibition. You, you might gain 10 mile an hour there, but you, when you go back to your norm, you're gaining two, three mile an hour, which is like all the stats guys, all these data guys are showing the number one thing to, to lower your handicap for amateur golfers is distance distance and i know we can go we can go back and say well you can go for efficiency too for distance which is which is important now that's why you you should work with a pga pro or a coach to, to help with that you know if you're not hitting a draw off the tee for an amateur you're it's madness like you're losing you know a slice is costing you 40 yards of distance and i swear to you i'm i'm, I'm talking mid-range amateurs i'm talking like you know you're 10 to 15 handicap there's no way you're too crooked I swear to you, you should be hitting a draw and hitting it 40 yards further down there. Amateurs can't afford to be hitting a power fade. Like, unless you're a really quality player, you can't, you can't afford that. You've got to be drawing it. So, yeah, you've got to break your inhibitions. You've got to get more efficient. You've got to not worry about hitting it in the rough. And this is another thing which I couldn't understand for years. Certain players can't play from the rough. Psychologically, they just cannot handle missing. They don't like being in the rough. They think, you know, they need to hit it on the fairway. So, if you're a short hitter, it's unlikely that you would have the mental capacity to miss a couple more fairways by getting lo- when you get longer. So uh, it, it's I've seen a lot of good players lose their game by trying to get longer. So it's a dangerous thing. Uh, it takes a certain type of person to be happy to hit 20 yards further and maybe miss two more fairways around. Uh, you know, but I, I personally can't handle not having the potential. So I couldn't have, like last week, say, at, at LA Country, I couldn't have the potential or the, I couldn't handle the fact I'm 14 if I couldn't reach that green in two. If I couldn't make, there was a 300-yard carry the first day. It actually got quite short in the tournament. It actually got down to 285. 
for the I wouldn't be able to I I I couldn't stand up and compete if I thought somebody else could reach that green in two and I couldn't. Mm. Like I had to lay up. That that just would do my head in. How does explain to me how speed six work, right? I have, I think I have the same set that you probably use here. There's a light one, a medium one, and a heavy one. I I've tried it, I've used it, I've not done it consistently. I've found it surprisingly fatiguing. Like it it's it's you got to have some stamina to do it. And I know I'm I know I'm out of shape, and you're a professional athlete, but uh you know it it it's a routine that you need to do pretty consistently. And it kind of explain to like how the different how that all works and how people could use that. Yeah. I, I, I know this is slight aside. So AP McCoy is the greatest national hunt jockey of all time. 5,000 winners. The toughest man you've ever met. And I, I, he plays a bit of golf. And, you know, I could get him to hit 10 swings as hard as he could. And he is absolutely out for the count. Like his back is hurt and he's tired. And this is a man who can, can ride a horse for two miles over fences at 25 mile an hour, 30 mile an hour, holding on to those reins. I wouldn't be able to, I'd probably, if I did that for 50 yards, I probably wouldn't walk the next day. So it's what you're used to. It's always what you're used to. So you will build up a tolerance to swinging the speed sticks more and more. So I, I've probably been using, I got them right at the start. I, I'm using them over 10 years. And back then it was, it was a lot of guesswork. You know, I, I knew pretty much like everything else. We knew to stay within 20% of the parameter. This came from javelin throwers. You, you, no, you, you've got to stay within 20% heaviness and lightness of your normal weight. Uh, so as everything we learn from other sports. So I, I was doing that and you, you, I, I would do three sets of six with each one kind of randomly. And now you've got brilliant programs that you can follow. So for somebody like yourself, follow a program. It just gets you motivated. It's giving you the feedback. There's no point in doing this without a monitor. You've got to have like a PRGO monitor, which sits there and gives you feedback. And if you're a kid or or if you have a kid and, and he's into his golf, you know, don't buy him the latest driver. Buy him a monitor. You can buy a PRGO monitor for $240. Like, I swear to you, that feedback is all a kid needs. You don't need to tell a kid anything. He'll learn himself. He The feedback is all he wants. Instant feedback. For us, yeah, we need to follow programs. We need to do that. And it, it's basically breaking down your central nervous system's inhibition of what it thinks is fast. Because as I said, you could sprint faster than somebody yet swing the golf club slower than them. And it's just purely because psychologically, your central nervous system thinks it's moving fast or swinging the club fast when it's not. It's clearly more capable of doing more and speed sticks and other products like it, you know, there's lots of things out there. You know, there's, there's, there's lots of ways of gaining speed, but speed sticks have a lovely program that you can follow. And and this is what's changed in, in the sort of 15 years of evolution of these things. They give you programs that you can monitor and follow that will, for anybody starting out, like we know with speed, if you do three squat jumps, you gain two miles an hour of clubhead speed. That's what the, the scientific analysis would show the very scientific analysis but the reality of that is if you're not a trained athlete and you do three squat jumps you'll probably gain two mile an hour if you're a trained athlete and you, you you're used to doing squat jumps it ain't going to do anything for you uh, and you need to find another way of, of fooling your central nervous system like speed sticks so uh, if you're starting off with speed sticks you should gain pretty easily if you're a mature athlete and you're using speed six more and more or other training devices, 
what you will find is you just need to keep the variation. And that's what I've done. I, I look for variation. So with, with me and my golf, you will see it. I'm talking about it. It's me. Like I could find the greatest thing. I could find something like it could be as simple as, you know, if I relax my, my left side, my left shoulder, my left arm at the top of the backswing, I gain speed. And I think I've found the Holy Grail. Oh my God, that's easy. And I've gained, you know, three, four mile an hour. But next week it doesn't work. Next week I might have to, you know, next week I might have to go fast. I might have to feel like I'm, I'm, I'm swinging that fast backswing, you know? So it's not the technique that's, makes the difference it's the variation in the technique that makes the difference so you just got to keep finding things that work for you that test that reinvent it that make it new uh like look the easiest way for me to get fast <laughs> just have somebody stand behind me honestly if you walked up behind me on the range and i was swinging there on the range and like i did it last week uh i'm swinging on the range 183 ball speed I'm looking up at the monitor. Brett Rumford comes over. I said, oh, I'll hit you one, 186. So like, just as long as somebody's watching me, I'll gain speed. That's crazy. That's, uh, and, and I guess I was surprised in that video. I feel like whenever I hear about where to gain power, people will say it's like it's, it doesn't come from swinging your arms faster. I hear that a lot in terms of you got to use your body. You got to do all kinds of stuff. Like the harder you're – well, I, I kind of want to pick your brain on that, though, because I think there's something to – if I try to swing my arms faster, I might be adding tension and slow down in it, right? So, but you were you were emphatic on that arm speed is where a lot of uh, you know power comes from, and I was just I was just kind of surprised to hear that. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, that. Okay, the only reason you swing your you turn your body fast is to speed up your arms. Yep. So we we all know it's the kinetic sequence that each think of it like a best like cogs. Your hips go and it pulls your torso. Your torso goes. And it connects, it pulls on the cog of your arms, and then your arms pull on the wrist. And then the wrist releases the club. So you've got those four, the skinning accessories is those four things and the club head. So the fifth there. So they all have to connect and pull on each other. If you were teaching a junior golfer who is practicing every day, 100% tell them, we're going to turn our hips. As long as the hips don't get away from the body, we're going to turn our hips as fast as we can. Once they connect to the body and pull the body, then we're going to turn our torso as fast as we can. Once that connects to the shoulder and arms, they're going to go as fast as they can. And then the hands. Beautiful if you're 16 years of age and you're playing every day. That is exactly how you would teach. And that's exactly how Instagram teaches. It seems to be thinking it's teaching the 50-year-old man who plays once every two weeks or, or woman to swing like a 16-year-old. It's not possible. So they go with their body and their arms just get lagged behind and leave behind and just go, go nowhere. They'd be far better off if you're only playing every so often. Swing your arms and hands, hands as fast as you can. Release your hands as much as you can. And your body will follow suit. It won't stop working. Your hips and arms will move. Or hips and body will move. But I swear to you, every person I see in a pro-am, they're trying to lead their swing with their, with their torso. And it just doesn't work. It does not work. Their arms get slower because of it. And I will prove this to you because probably a lot of your, of, your, of your followers will be in this category. I see this a lot in programs. So I get a guy or, or girl who's played college golf. So full-time golfer for a number of years. And they come out 
now they've got a job, so they're playing weekend golf at best, but you know, maybe a couple of times a month. They still have a beautiful golf swing and they stand the tee and they they go for it and they turn their hips, everything, their swing looks good. But because they're not playing every day, their arms have got slow. Those arms drop behind and now they hit these horrible big hooks, big snap hooks. And the first thought is, well, if I hit a hook in college, what did I do? I, I made sure I turned more. And the turning is actually causing the hook because if you turn, you can, if your arms don't keep up with the turn, your arms fall behind you, you're going to get the club behind you and your only last thing you can do is flip it or else you're going to hit it 100 yards right. So there's a lot of people in that category who used to play full time who now hate golf because they hit this big, big hook. They need to speed up their arms, not their body. Their body, I, I think because your hips and body are such big muscles, I think later on after you've not played all the time, when you think of speed, you can feel them and you don't notice that your arms aren't keeping up. So, yeah, for amateur golfers, just swing your arms and hands. Come on. Everything else will work. They will follow. I'm not telling you not to use your hips and torso. I'm telling you, you need to focus on your arms to get the speed. Unless you're playing every day. If you're playing every day, go with your hips and torso. Uh, assuming you're not hitting a hook. And, yeah, you'll be good enough to keep your arms up. But Instagram seems to think that you can teach everybody like a 16-year-old, which is not the case. Uh, certainly not the case with the amateurs I'm seeing in pro-ams. They go for it with their body. They, and, and these are, say, most of my pro-am pro, pro grown-ass men, they should be able to swing the club faster than 90 mile an hour uh, and with a big slice. Uh, you know, they, they need to feel like they're, like for most golfers, like the, if you're hitting a slice, which I, I again, I think, it depends on your level, obviously, but the, I'm talking the, the amateurs I'm playing with, the, the mid-range, you know, the 14 handicap type amateur. If you're hitting a slice, you need to feel like you're, you can turn as much as you like, but you need to feel like your back is to the target for as long as possible. And I would actually practice with the idea that your back is to the target of impact. That would cause you to hook the ball, which is, We'll go obviously when you go on the golf course, you don't need to play like that. But when you're on the range, you should keep your back to the target as long as possible. You should keep your shoulders shut to the target at impact when you're practicing. If you hit a slice, that way you're going to start hitting a hook, and then you can go on the golf course and it should be somewhat neutral. By the way, I, I know I'm getting onto Paddy's golf tips here and things like this. This fascinates me again with, with amateur golfers. If you're hitting a slice on the range, you can't go to hitting a straight shot. So most amateurs, when they're hitting a slice, they go to the range and they think they try and hit a perfectly good shot, say dead straight or with a five-yard fade or five-yard draw, something like that, a lovely golf shot. It doesn't work like that. If you're hitting a slice, to get rid of the slice, you need to go and hit a hook. You need to hit the exact opposite, extremely the opposite. So to get rid of a slice, you've got to practice hitting the biggest snap hook you can hit on the range that's the only way it's going to change. You can't change it by by a few degrees. You've got to change it by 50 degrees in order for it to come back to neutral. So a pro, it, it's like a metrodome. An amateur is, is like, his tick is going way over left. or It's going from nearly nine o'clock to three o'clock in exaggeration. Or let's say, yeah, let's say 10 o'clock to two o'clock. If he's swinging at so far left that he's at 10 o'clock, he needs to swing at two o'clock. Whereas a pro, he's good enough that he's, one minute to 12 to one minute past 12. That's the sort of range he's swinging in. 
Whereas an amateur needs to, you need to exaggerate it massively to get any change, any quick change anyway. You can't go from a slice to a good shot. You've got to go from a slice to a hook. Man, in the, practice. Yeah. Whatever you described about the, the, the hook and the guy that, you know, is, is moving the body too fast, no arms. That's what I've had going on for like a year and a half now. It's been, and you're exactly right. I, I can't hit a five yard fade to save my life. I can set up for a 50 yard fade and it won't fade five yards. It's amazing. Yeah. So what you need to do when you're on the golf course is you've got to change as, as your training drill, your low point needs to be. So if you set up to the golf ball, you need to put your low point, maybe you need to hit the ground with your driver, maybe two feet past where you think where the ball would be and maybe six or eight inches, even a foot, even two feet, even a foot inside. So way outside your left heel and way on the inside. Now you can open up your shoulders to do that. You, you can swing out to in to do it. You'll see me do it quite a bit on the golf course. I'll swing across my body and left in order to avoid that hook. And that will fix you on the golf course. So with the next time you stand in the right to left wind, make sure that you take a few practice swings with your arms, hitting the ground, two feet left of the golf ball, and maybe 18 inches of foot inside where the golf ball would be. And then just stand up and hit it, and your hook will be gone. Hmm. I'll have to try that. That's uh, My mind's in a pretzel now, but that's, that's, that's yeah. fantastic. Uh, try, try, try and get a copy of me taking a couple of my practice swings, and you'll see how far left... I take my practice swings. That's my anti-hook swing because I do not want to see a hook. So if I'm trying to hook, if I'm trying to hook the ball, you'll see me take my three practice swings vigorously, pretty quick, and you'll see me hitting the ground opposite my right foot. So I'm releasing it really early in practice. So I'm hoping, like I could be swinging 50 degrees right in practice swings. I'm hoping that that, that ends up as one or two degrees when I go hit it. But trying to, you've got to make big, big exaggerations to try and get a little change, a degree or two change quickly. Yeah. And I've, I've just found it, there's just no substitute for practice and time is the thing, you know, that's, that's the part that is, uh, I'm finding the hardest about, about getting older for the, I'm sure a lot of people listening. Yeah. The same yeah thing. But, but you, you, but you've got to realize you don't have that time anymore. Right. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to find for you to be a good player or, or, or to be, for you to be satisfied on the golf course, you've got to find a couple of things to manage your game. So if you're hitting a hook, how do I stop hitting a hook really quickly? That drill I just said there will stop it. Like it may mean that you need to stand to the side when, when other people and have 10 swings, you know, when, when, when you're waiting on somebody else up the fairway or whatever, you've got to keep swinging left. Maybe you, you know, but you've got to find that fix for you. You're, you you don't have the time to go to the range. You're, you're not in college. You're not doing, you know, so you always got to, okay, this is what I need to do. This is what I keep going back to and have your little fixes that, that get your swing back into, into, into somewhat sort of consistency on the golf course, but they've got to be your fixes and personal to you. Yeah. You got it. Another thing too, is just having knowledge of when you're swinging it well, why are you swinging it well? Or what are you doing? Right. Is something that I think a lot of people struggle to find that baseline on, but I could talk golf swing with you forever, but uh, I do got to get you. You had some, uh, some reactions on Twitter to the recent news between PGA tour, DP world tour, and you had initial reaction and a follow-up reaction where you said it's been a few days now since the merger. It doesn't look like a merger or even a hostile takeover. As I once thought 
It looks like a deal to stop the lawsuits. The three tours seem to keep their status quo, at least for the players, with no crossover for now. It came out Friday that the lawsuits are officially dropped with prejudice and cannot be picked back up. Uh, I'm curious kind of what your reaction is to everything that's happened now after you know a little bit of time that's passed, back, uh, and we can look back on it a little bit more clearly. Yeah, you know, there's two two big sides to this. Uh, there's the moral side, and then there's the business side. Uh, it's obviously a lot easier to talk about the business side. It it looks just straightforward, like any two companies competing out there. You have the big incumbent company. The startup comes along, sees a niche, comes in. The big company thinks it's not going to happen. It then when it's happening, it thinks it's never going to get a, get going, and then all of a sudden, the challenger has some has gained some traction. Uh, it probably gained a lot of traction through the lawsuits in some way, uh, and all of a sudden, the incumbent being the PJ Tour has gone. Hang on a second here. If we don't move on this now, we're going to be in a far worse position down the road. So very very standard business practice. Unfortunately, I don't know if we want to say unfortunately. Fortunately, we live in a in, in a free market. In, in when it comes to business and companies are allowed trade, and this is what happens. This stops companies being monopolies. It allows challengers come in. Uh, you know, you can't interfere with the challenger. You've got to let him have his. You know, have his go. So it just looks like standard business practice that they've come to the conclusion: we better do a deal now, or else you know it's we're going to be in a worse position down the road like there's no player on the pga tour two weeks ago was calling for us to play for more money so there's no reason there was no appetite on the tour for them to go out and do this deal for more money but like a lot of boards they do deals where they don't tell the shareholders what's going on especially during the negotiations and the likelihood is they've done this deal because we were going to be in financial peril that we either the tour has overstretched itself or there could have been penalties from the lawsuits uh you know the tour has done a deal i definitely believe they're acting in our best interests they've done a deal based on we were in trouble now then you go completely separately to the moral side which is is, is in some ways it's obviously a lot more difficult because the, the tour has to act on behalf of all its players as a group. So an individual can decide not to go and play in Saudi Arabia. An individual can decide not to play play live. But as a group, the tour has to act for everybody. And there's loads of different opinions on, on the tour. There's a different group. It, it, it'd be like turning around and saying that the tour has to act in it for, like saying a country has to act uh, based on religion. You know, we all know the politics, you've got to keep religion out of politics. And it just kind of comes down to this moral thing. In the end of the day, the tour has to act for the group, what's best, and, and not take the moral side in. But the individuals can. So there's no player here who has to go and play and live. And there's no player here who has to go go and play in Saudi Arabia. Uh, I know golf has got bashed in Ireland quite a bit uh, over all of this. And and I, I kind of go, well, Rory said no, Shane said no, I said no. And... and, and uh, Darren Clark didn't go as well, said no. So there was, you know, individuals can do what they can, can, can act the way they want. Now, as a, my own personal feeling on the, the moral side is nobody would want to live 
the way we live in the in the Western world, there's no way we would want or consider the 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 laws in Saudi Arabia to be who would want to live under those those ideals. We'd all want to change them, but we don't have a magic wand to change them. And and no matter what, forcing will only cause more of a of a kickback. I do believe that trade and inclusion helps things change. And I, I really hope that in 25 years with the tourism initiative. That you know, you can see the change in the changes in Dubai, Abu Dhabi, and places like that. That will bring a lot of change to Saudi Arabia, and and you know, it just can't be changed with 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 a magic wand. There's nobody who can go in there and say it's all going to change tomorrow. So hopefully, it will change. We'd all like it to change. And again, like huge amount, like Yasser, who's who's running this PIF, he's educated in the US. He's well aware of what 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 are the norms in 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 the U.S. and the Western world, but things can't change that quick. As much as we would like them to change that quick, we can't avoid the inevitable side of the business side because that's the world we live in—a free market. Can we avoid the moral side? Yes, as an individual, we can, and we can take any stance we like as an individual. And and fair play to uh, people who do live up to the standards that they that they talk about. And and but as a group, we have to act. In, you know, in in that business sense, they can't. They're they're not. You know, there's players from all around the world playing the PJ Tour with all sorts of different ideal ideas and ideals, and you have to act for the group. And that's a business sense as all companies do. So we're kind of left in that situation. They've made this big U-turn, and there can only be one reason for the U-turn, and that's because of financial peril. Yeah, it's it's been a trick, a challenge for all of us that got into golf and talking about golf many years ago because we liked golf, and now we have to learn about Vision Twenty Thirty of Saudi Arabia and how it all plays into geopolitics and how it's been. A, it's been a complicated time, and, it, and a lot of players aren't educated on all this stuff, and they are. You know, they like they play golf, they hit golf balls, they know how to you know to win tournaments. They don't necessarily uh, have all of the. I don't know the. It's not what they signed up for, right? When they when they entered into the world of professional golf, and it, I guess where where I net out on the moral part is when you're taking paychecks directly from a government to to help with their image directly, uh, and and you know it, it can kind of seem like you're a part of a front for thing like the the, the murder of murder of Jamal Khashoggi happened five months before the first Saudi international, right? So it wasn't, uh, you know, the the this golf Saudi wasn't about changing things. It was about these things were going on right at the same time. Now, now, does all this extra attention on this mean that they're going to, there's going to be extra scrutiny on their practices and human rights that, you know, does lead to evolution over time. I think that's like best case scenario. It's still very different from what a lot of the guys that went and, and signed up and visited Saudi Arabian schools and were a part of these videos that kind of help whitewash the image. But like you, like you've explained and, and are trying to discuss, like, now the Justin Thomases and Jordan Speets and all that are going to have to like answer these questions when they've made no such decision to sign up for any of this. And I think that's the people that I feel the most empathy for in all of this uh, situation. Well, well, certainly they don't, as individuals, they don't have to do anything. So like individually, they, 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 you know, no, no, like nobody's, I'm assuming nobody's saying we have to go and play and live or Saudi Arabia events if you don't want to play them. Uh, as regards will you end up playing for some money that comes from from the PIF? Yeah, it's not clear exactly. There's obviously some of that money somehow will drift back in. You would think, certainly at this moment, we're not going to lose money in a, in, a, in a lawsuit, which could have been billions, obviously. Uh, 
so I, I'm not 100% sure on, on those details, but I, I assume individuals can act in their own best interests at all times. And, and uh, you know, again, if you're, if you're talking, it, there is a thing called free trade. So if Saudi Arabia is obviously a big partner of the US in the Middle East, but if, if, if you really want to stop them trading with us, we have to stop trading with them. So, you know, you can't have, you can't turn around to say, to the PF, no, you're not allowed to buy into Meta. You can't be, you can't, you, you can't turn around and say no to them if we trade with them. So that's what the give and take is. So if they, in a, in a free market, if this wasn't a free market, you know, the PJ Tour could have, you know, stuck a spanner in the work of live uh, and, and stopped it working in some ways. But because it's a free market, they had to let, you know, they tried, but they, you know, you have to let live have a go with trying to be successful. That's 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 what we that's what we want in this in in the Western world is a free market. Unfortunately, that means that morals can't be that. Unfortunately, it means morals can't be taken into account in this particular situation as a group. But as an individual, they can continue to do it, just like uh, Lewis Hamilton when he drove the Grand Prix in in in, in Saudi Arabia. He wore a, a rainbow helmet. So an individual took a stance. But as a group, he knows that Formula One is going to go to Saudi Arabia. That's the way it is. That's that's the dividing line for me, right? If you can still speak yeah. out against it, then that's rep- more representative of free trade than it is. The guys, I guess I just have a little bit of a problem with the Martin Keimers and whatnot, kind of doing a victory lap of I made the right decision all along and now they're all okay. hypocrites. Uh, okay. Yeah, this, there was, yeah, there's, there's a, I will agree with that, that media and like Rory did a lovely press conference I thought lovely probably is not great Rory did a very good press conference there about two weeks ago where he said said lots of things in the conference and I had a nice flow to everything but then the quotes came out and it was like I hate live you know that was the headline and of course the live players then are going to going to bite back and they're going to say something in a in a in context of what they're saying maybe or even just one line again and and the, the, those comments are very harsh on each side. There's no doubt that if any side gloats and thinks they're, you know, that they're right or they're winners, it doesn't come across very well. And and some of that is is one line quotes that never never sit very well or headlines. Uh, but yeah, I, I I yeah, no, I I I will agree with you there. I don't want to see either side. Uh, remember a lot of these guys who are who are going to live around my Ryder Cup team. A lot of them are my friends and will always be my friends. So I, I, you know, it in the in many ways we have I, you know, I can see both sides of it, but I certainly don't want to see any side turning around and say, "Well, we were right, you were wrong." I don't like the gloating side of it. Uh, you know, those guys. But remember, a lot of those guys they made a decision. And they were ostracized for that decision. So it felt very hard on them. No matter what, you know, what, what way you think, they felt hard done by that, you know, that the world of golf, uh, you know, ostracized them. And, and whether it was justified or not, they felt ostracized. And, and, and that's why they're biting back now and feel like they, they, they've had this win. But we don't know whether they've had a win or not until we know the deal. I know. And the, term. the deal might not and, go and, through, and, <laughs> for all we know. And, and, well, we just don't know what this. Look, the reality of this is whether you like live or not, we have to let them succeed or fail on their own terms. You're not allowed to turn around and 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 deliberately put. I know people don't realize, but you're not allowed to do that in business to a smaller company. 
you cannot turn around to a company and 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 damage their business in any way. So the rest of us, whether we like it or not, we have to look at live and say, you know, let's let let them succeed or fail and see what comes of it. That's that's the that's the the market we operate. And if you're listening to this podcast, you've heard me say this more than once, but you are an actual stakeholder in this. I'm not really in terms of the, the part that bothered me the most is the guys that left. And, you know, but we've talked a lot about pooling media rights and and where the value of professional golf comes from and all that stuff. But the guys that left and just kind of did their own thing didn't bother me nearly as much as the guys that left and were also a part of trying to tear down the part that they left and trying to double dip when the rules clearly stated you cannot do this. DP World Tour said you cannot do this. PGA Tour says you cannot do this if you want to be a part of this. And trying like that was the part that really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, myself included. Did it rub you the wrong way? I, I, it didn't rub me the wrong way, but I, I I did find it fascinating that you know if you, you when you you make your bed you got to sleep in it. And that and that's the thing. And they, they left, they went there, but they would have felt as well that their business was being interfered with, that they weren't getting a free run. That you know, uh, you know, as it turned out, the major stayed out of it. They stayed independent, which they they should have. You know, maybe they were. They thought they were going to get a little bit more of this or, you know, in terms of, say, world ranking points and things like that. So I, I do believe it will work itself out over over time. Uh, yeah, you know, some some of the players who, 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 some who kept quiet seemed like the smart ones. They didn't get involved. Some who, 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 who did make comments and quotes, again, sometimes they can be very harsh when they're, they're when they're a headline. But as I said, they they felt let down. You know, when you you look at somebody like a, a you know, a Lee Westwood or or an Ian Poulter who spent their life playing for the Ryder Cup and being like you know, Ian Poulter's career is the Ryder Cup. Uh, you know, I know he left, but he, he they they do feel like they were, you know. I suppose ostracized and uh, the rules state that's what it is and they 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 needed to be aware of that but but uh, you know the harsh reality was 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 tough on them as I said and and again some of this is played out in the media I I like you know some of the the biggest and say loudest uh, critics you go to last week's on the range and they they're having a chat with the people they're critical of and friendly on an individual basis and yet in the media you know it's the opposite so you you kind of have to it's a it is strange you know that there seems to be this two sides that you know we hate them they hate us type thing but when they all come together in a major everybody is yeah pretty much uh, yeah i wouldn't say business is well not quite business as usual but there's definitely you know there's there's the the animosity you think is there is not there when it comes to the the, the individual players but again that isn't that always the way in life individuals are completely different than, than groups uh, and individually you know you, you see the person you were friends with for years you see the person you you play golf with for years you see the person uh you know who who you've liked uh, and, and for me, I see see several players who are on my team, and I'm never going to give that up. You know, I, I'm I'm their captain, and that's it forever. Uh, so yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a different. The, the individual and group is very different in this situation, and 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 uh, 
it, it is hard to marry the two out when it comes into the the media world when there is headlines and and and, and stories and and as I said sometimes it there were some 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 of those stories you know don't gloat you know and, and, and there mightn't be anything to gloat over at this stage we don't know what what's coming out of this we'll have to wait for the details but I am very confident that the tour are doing this in the players' best interests and. If the names you mentioned earlier there who have reservations, well, they should have reservations and hold those reservations and, and talk about those reservations and believe in those reservations forever, you know, or for a while anyway. And as I said, just like Lewis Hamilton, maybe this is, you know, if they truly have reservations, well, maybe this will give them a platform that their, their reservations are heard and that they can do something about it. And, uh, you know, Shout, shout as loud as they can, it, 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 you know, and, and hopefully, as I said, that could cause change. But being quiet in the background and doing nothing, uh, that's not going to help it either. Yeah, it, it's it's a mess. It's going to be a long time to, to settle, I have a feeling, you know, especially, uh, you know, with the with the news that came out about the investigation and, and how long it, I have a feeling we're just going to be kind of in limbo for, for quite some time. I feel maybe I feel differently about it than I did the week that it happened, of course, because it, when it came out, it sounded like a done deal. It, it, it and I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it, the farther we get from it, the more it seems like there's a lot of stuff to get worked out. Like, you know, you lose a lawsuit over here in the U S you know, if there was some sort of antitrust, if there was some interference with the, the you know, the PGA tour, uh, in Liv's business, you know, that could be several billion. That could be, you know, substantially damaged the PGA Tour. So, you know, that, that I don't know if we'll ever find out, is was that the case? Uh, it does seem that the Yasser and the PIF, Yasser likes golf. He doesn't seem to be going easy here. He's not buying it, you know, he's buying into this, sec- from what we hear, he's buying into this second entity that will invest in in golf, but not at the moment. The PGA Tour, European Tour, and live all all stand alone. Um, yeah, it, I, I wait for the details. I will be interested to see, but it, it, it doesn't seem like you know if, the, if that lawsuit was going south, and and maybe the TV deals going south, the live were in a strong position, and maybe they 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 haven't enforced their hand as much. In this situation, I, I I don't know. I, I but again, let's let's wait. We can only speculate. And you know, the great thing about this speculation is I'm so far on the outside. I really know nothing. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was easy yeah. to talk about the new tournament structure and and you know, kind of designated events and the the top players getting together and all this. That was easy for me to talk about. This is really hard. Like I'm not a boardroom uh, expert. You know, it's yeah, a mess. Yeah. Well, I, I as I said, I, I'm I'm. I'm no expert on this at all. And I, I, as I said, I'm trying to rationalize from a business background, how mergers happen, how these things, and it just seems like very, very standard practice. The problem is here, the standard practice is messed up by the moral implications of, uh, and as I said, I do hope that the individuals, uh, you know, stay true to stay true to themselves and, 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 you know, can always act in their own, own interests and maybe, maybe, actually have an effect on 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 things down the road. Uh, but we have no. I I don't think we had any choice. I don't think the tour had any choice, uh, but to do the deal. 
And apologies, I'm keeping you a little longer than than scheduled, but I want to give proper context to all the all this conversation. It's a hard topic to rush through. But does it, does anything that's happened over the last couple of weeks change anything with the European side of the Ryder Cup team as far as live players being involved for this year? I know we can't pro- we can't project what's going to happen down the road, but uh, I'd be surprised if everything was resolved in time for the Ryder Cup or for teams to be selected at least in that time. What do you think happens, and what would you you know what what would you like to see done? Uh, well. I think it's too late this year. I think the rules specifically in Europe say you have to be a member before the 1st of, 1st of May. So well, I suppose they could change the rule, but I, I think it's too late for anybody this year. It's just the way the rules are written. Uh, but it's obviously not too late for future Ryder Cups and future Ryder Cup captains. Uh, yeah, I, I it, when it comes to Europe, do you think you're playing for Europe or do you think you're playing for the European Tour? I always felt I was playing for the European Tour. You know, Seve had it that we had a chip on our shoulder in Europe, that we weren't treated with, with a, enough respect, uh, and we had a point to prove for the Tour. So if you went to Europe, you'll find there's a huge support for the Ryder Cup from the South African players, from the Asian players, Australian players playing in Europe. So it, it, it was more about the Tour. And if it was more about the Tour, you could argue, well, it should only be members of the tour. Now, that might change going down the road with the new deal. Yeah, it's not as big a deal for Europe this year, I think. That's what a lot of people haven't fully realized. There's not. There, yeah. If you look at the numbers, no one over the last three, six, or 12 months is jumping off the page as playing really well and no longer a part of the DP World Tour. Yeah, you, you know, I, 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 you would still kind of... Sergio. Sergio's the, Sergio, the name. He, yeah. He, yeah, Sergio would be the one that would be lucky. He always delivers in the Ryder Cup. Sergio might be the one. I, I think there is a change in the, the guard in Europe at the moment. Uh, we're looking for a few new faces, uh, maybe a few old ones to come back in, but we're definitely looking for a few new faces. So it's not as big a deal. It's a bigger deal in the States in terms of who deserves to be picked. But then again, the US is deep. So it's not maybe it's not as big as maybe it's not as big a deal for the Ryder Cup in the US because they're so deep in players. So uh, yeah, I, but it does need you know resolution down the road. Certainly needs you know we we need some resolution and Europe certainly can't do without its best players going forward and captains going forward as well. It's it'd be it is it would be a, a yeah. I, I I I as much as I would like I I I'd love to see guys get the captaincy we have plenty of players in europe who will make good captains we don't need to be rehashing old captains put it like that we've plenty of, of there's there's plenty of players who've played Ryder cup who who um, i'm remember like one of our best captains being paul mcginley you know when it becomes the center of their career to be Ryder cup captain that that can be can be better than a captain who it's just another you know another part of his career that that Paul hearing Paul talk about how he approached it and how the chip on the shoulder kind of underdog mentality that he had in his golf career and how he took that into captaincy was always I found that extremely fascinating. So Padraig, uh I am at risk of keeping you for three hours if I keep going with questions because I could talk golf with you forever. I would love to continue to do this down the road, but we greatly appreciate your time and your insights and uh and you spending some time with us and uh best of luck with the remainder of the season. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's it's a complicated time to be doing interviews I, I was oh, yeah. probably the it's the one time in my career i love talking and love doing it but it's the it's the, it's the only time in my career that i'm i'm genuinely afraid of what i'm saying 
just because you, you can get it so badly wrong trying to like I love the playing devil's advocate and I generally would argue to high heaven the other side of it, even if I didn't you know just because that's what I like doing but this is such a tough subject to 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 try and see both sides of it without offending people who are who are you know clearly you know have a position a moral position and and it's it's it you know you, you, I really respect people who believe in the believe in their own live their life with their beliefs you know and you don't don't want to be upsetting people and you're trying to explain in something like this that as much as people don't like this is the reality of the world we live in that you have to do a a a business deal in a free market because that's the way it is but please don't second guess individuals and what they what they think and what they do that's well said yeah it's been a it's it's a hard period of time when no matter what you say you're going to get some feedback and some uh, somewhat borderline harassment from uh from whatever you want to call the other side or somebody that disagrees with you is going to make it extremely vocal. And it's, it's unlike anything I've seen in the, the 10 years or so I've done this. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah we're, we're not used to this. Certainly in yeah. golf, we, 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 we tend to steer clear of it, but you know, even from this conversation, maybe, you know, I take for this, maybe down the road, you know, as I said, Lewis Hamilton, you take from that, uh, you know, maybe statements and things can, can help with change. And, and, uh, as I said, players as individuals can maybe have an effect in this world where, where golf really should really shouldn't have that mandate. Maybe we will going forward. Yeah, potentially. It's it's very difficult for us golfers to uh, to say, right? I don't know if that's if that's fully our our job and our job description. But anyways, greatly greatly appreciate the time. Uh, looking forward to the Open Championship coming up here in a few weeks as well. And uh, and yeah, we'll we'll have you back anytime. Okay. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. <laughs> <laughs>